Welcome to Gracious Words. Gracious Words is taken from the weekly women's Bible study, taught by Cheryl Broderson at Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California. We behold your glory, God, in the face of Christ. It shows us who you are, revealing who you are. Imagine that you're a teenage girl about to be married. You have your life planned out and then suddenly you're informed that all your plans are about to change. How would you react to these changes? Today we will begin the study on the life of Mary as we continue our journey through the lineage of Jesus with Cheryl Broderson. One of Cheryl's message, Mary and the Word of God. I don't know how many of you have ever thought, like, I want to be Mary. But when I was, um, I don't know if it was three or four, you know how your parents tell you stories about yourself? You're never quite sure if they're true because you don't remember it. But my parents told me when I was either three or four, I was so upset that I didn't get to be Mary that, I, that in the church play, I upstaged Mary that there she was in the front holding the baby and it was time to sing away in the manger and I was an angel. So I went and put my arms right in front of Mary and sang away in the manger at the top of my lungs. I don't remember that. I think they got me mixed up with some other angel. Once you put those robes and wings on, you all begin to look alike. But I remember wanting to be Mary so badly when I was young. And I remember my Sunday school teacher, Leslie Stewart, saying, Okay, I have to choose a Mary. So could you show me what you think Mary looked like? Oh my goodness, I folded my hands. Now I'm hyperactive. I folded my hands and I bowed my head and I tried to look as reverent as possible. I also took my hair and put it on each side, just let it flow down and tried to get my most beatific face on. And I was chosen to be Mary. I was ecstatic. It was one of the greatest moments of my life. Again, when I was 11 in public school, Newport Heights Elementary School over on Santa Ana Avenue, just in case you want to drive by and go, Cheryl was Mary at that auditorium. In public school, I was chosen by my sixth grade teacher to be Mary. And it was such a reverent moment for me to be up on the stage and to be representing one of uh, the most favored, most blessed, most reverent women in the entire world. I revered the role. I felt so honored and so privileged. But you know, the real Mary The real Mary was just a young woman in Nazareth. Now, what's interesting about Nazareth is the Hebrew word Nazar means branch. There were about 800 people living in Nazareth at the time of Mary, and they were all descendants of David. They had gone there to hide from the Roman legions, from the Seleucid dynasty, from persecution. And when they had gone to Nazareth, what they named 
their city was the branch. And they did it according to the prophecy of Isaiah 11.1, which spoke of the root of Jesse, the branch. According to Jeremiah 23.5, that talked about the branch of David, out of which the Messiah would come. So in Nazareth, there was a messianic expectation. Again, Zechariah 3, 8, Zechariah 6, 12. They all talk about the Messiah being called the branch of the Lord because he was a branch of David. This is the one through whom the promise to David that from your lineage, from David's lineage, the Messiah would arise. This was the promised people. This was the lineage of David. Now, we don't know anything about the family of Mary. Isn't that interesting? We don't know about her father. We don't know about her mother. We don't know if she was an orphan or an only child, if she had brothers. We don't know anything about that because it's really not about her family. It's about Mary herself. And it's about her response to the word of God. We know that she was poor or impoverished because she refers to herself as being of a lowly estate. When she goes to the temple after the birth of Jesus to offer the sacrifice of purification, which every godly woman would do in Israel, they were to offer a lamb. But in, Deut- in Leviticus 12.8, it said if you couldn't afford a lamb, that you could offer two turtle doves or two pigeons. And we know that the poor offering was the offering that Joseph and Mary gave at the temple. There's no physical description of Mary. Did you ever realize that? We're not told what color her hair is. You know, we as women, we love details, don't we? What color was her hair? What color were her eyes? You know, if we had a physical description, we would all look like Mary, wouldn't we? We'd all dye our hair brown, if it was brown. We'd all have, if it was blue eyes, we'd all have, well, some of us would have contacts. Others of us would act superior. (laughs) You know, we're not told what height, what weight. We're not even told her age. And it's interesting to me because we're not told that Mary was beautiful. And yet we're told that Sarah, Rebecca, Abigail, Bathsheba, Esther were beautiful. It's not like the Bible leaves that out. It tells us that these women were beautiful. And yet we all assume that Mary was beautiful, don't we? But we assume or we know she was beautiful because her beauty was her reception to the word of God. The most beautiful woman I ever knew was 56 when I met her. And she was already severely weathered and wrinkled from harsh seasons of desert life. She was less than five feet tall and she was definitely overweight. Her hair was short and curly and gray and she wore glasses. It was my Aunt Isi. But she was so attractive. Everyone wanted to be in her presence. Because she lived the word of God with a passion. It flowed generously from her lips. It manifested itself in every action. 
The word of God rose within her spirit. It sounded forth in her praise and it directed everything she did. When she would pray, her little hands would go up because she was arthritic, so she couldn't raise her hands, so they would just go like this. And she'd just go, oh, holy, 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 oh, Jesus. It was like she saw him. Every time she prayed, he'd be like, easy, pray for me. Because you, you could just sense that heaven's doors flung open. And God says, I hear the voice of my beloved. That was her beauty. But I believe this was the beauty of Mary. Mary's story begins with her reception to God's word. In the small village of Nazareth, where the descendants of David lived, hidden, staying out of reach in sight of Rome and Herod and all the muckety-mucks in Israel. You know, when we were in Israel, yes, I was, just last week, um, we were, these important people came to dinner. And um, I, I always feel intimidated by important people probably because I'm not an important person. And I always just like, oh no, these are important people. And I have to try to remember everything my mom taught me. You know, like where the napkin on your lap goes, how to put the napkin back on the table, what knife to use first, what fork, you know, all those kind of things that you need to be aware of because they're important people. And so I sent a text to Brian because he was late. Brian, the muckety mucks are here. And you have to sit with them and pretend I'm not your wife because I'm sitting at a different table. And he's like, what does muckety muck mean anyway? Why do you keep using that term? And what do you mean by that term? Because Brian sees every, you know, Brian is like, every man is equal. He doesn't see muckety mucks, you know, especially the ickety part of the uckety. He doesn't see that. You know, he's like, Cheryl, they're all people. And I'm like, no, these are mucks. They're important. And they're more important than the rest of us. No, they're not. You know, but anyway, Mary, Mary was a very humble woman living in Nazareth and hidden out from all the important people. You know, that's one of the things when you're reading Luke and it says, you know, Herod was the tetrarch of, you know, Israel and, you know, um, Caesar Augustus was on the throne of Rome and um, Quirinius was governor of Syria. And you've got all these important muckety-muck people. And yet that's not who the angel goes to. That's not who the angel is looking for. When heaven is looking down on earth, it's not looking for the muckety-mucks. There you go, Brian. It's not looking for those important people. He is looking for those who will receive the word of God. And so this angel goes and appears to Mary. And the angel Gabriel, the same angel that went to Zacharias, who was a priest serving in the temple of the Lord, according to Luke chapter one. The same angel who appeared to Daniel and says, Daniel, I have come because of your prayer to show you the things that will happen because you are 
treasured before the Lord because you are dearly beloved or because you have found favor before the Lord. You see, Gabriel was sent to those who had found favor with the Lord. And so he comes just as he went to Daniel in Babylon. So he comes to Mary in Nazareth. And he says to her, rejoice, highly favored woman. The Lord is with you. Oh my goodness. She's just living this life of obscurity in this obscure village. Thinking no doubt that she's unnoticed. And she finds out that the Lord's eyes, that the Lord's favor has been resting on her. That the Lord is with her. Now, Mary is troubled and perplexed by this greeting, as would any of us be. You know, if Gabriel showed up to my house, I I promise you that I would be troubled or perplexed. You know, sometimes people give me a scripture and I'm a little troubled or perplexed by it, especially if it's, you know, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Have you ever gotten a scripture from somebody and gone, okay, what does this mean? Is this going to be played out in my life today, the next hour, the next week? Do you, do you ever have that? Or, you know, you, you're at the retreat and you get the scripture and you're like, does someone want to trade? <laughs> so seeing the angel, Mary is a little bit perplexed. And the angel says, do not be afraid, Mary. There's no reason to fear. Because when the Lord comes to you, it's, it's not a reason to fear. It's because, it's because the Lord has something for you. And in Mary's case, it's because, again, she had found favor in the eyes of the Lord. God was singling her out to do something extraordinary. Then the angel lays out God's plan for Mary's life. You will conceive and give birth to a son. You will name this son Yeshua, or God is salvation. This will not be an ordinary baby. This baby will be great. He will be called the son of the most high. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will have no end. Now remember the conditions of Israel at this time. They're oppressed by the Roman legions. They're under the power of Rome. Herod An Edomite, not even an Israelite, is on the throne of Israel and has proclaimed himself to be the king of the Jews. He's the one who's built the temple in Jerusalem. And there's a religious hierarchy who is in league with Rome. And and most of those, the Sadducees, don't even believe in the resurrection or the power of God. Jesus, speaking to the same group of men, would say, you do greatly err. For two reasons, you don't know the scriptures and you don't know the power of God. Can you imagine having a pastor who doesn't believe in the scriptures or the power of God? I mean, what kind of church would that be? What kind of leadership do you have, spiritual leadership, when they don't believe in the power of God or in the scriptures? This is the spiritual condition of Israel. This is is the conditions in which Jesus is going to come forth. Now for Mary, she probably had plans. She's betrothed 
to Joseph, and she probably has her whole life laid out before. Now, Joseph and I were betrothed, then we're going to get married, and carpenters in those days were also builders. A carpenter didn't just make tables and chairs and furniture, but he built houses for people. He was an architect. He was a builder. So no doubt Mary's like, oh, Joseph's going to build us a house because after you were betrothed, your fiance would go and build the house and then he would come and get you as soon as the house was built. He's a carpenter. I mean, she's probably thinking we're going to have the most gorgeous house in Nazareth. She might have had her whole life laid out. We're going to name one son, Cleopas. We're going to name another You know, and I want three daughters and five boys. You know, no doubt she was planning her whole life out, which we as women do. We plan everything out, don't we? We plan what we're going to pack three weeks in advance. We plan what we're going to make for dinner. I used to have a calendar. And what I would do is every day I would put what I was going to make that night for dinner, a week ahead of time everything that we were going to eat. I stopped that when Brian started crossing out days, putting arrows to other days. He was messing me up. So I decided he was not going to know. In fact, dinner was always going to be a surprise to Brian. There was, you know, he's not going to know what's going on because of those arrows changing dinner. And that's what the angel was doing. He was changing everything up for Mary. Now, we as women, we don't like our plans upset. You know, when we've been thinking Mexican food for dinner and our husbands come home and say, Italian, you're like, wait, no. How can I go from corn tortillas to pasta? It's, it's a hard transition because we, we get in our minds, we get our minds set in, in one direction. This is what's going to go on with my life. This is how it's going to be. And it's very hard to have those those changes of plans. And this angel is coming and he's changing all of the plans of Mary's life. He's saying to Mary, it's not going to be the way you thought. Nothing is going to be as you thought. Everything is going to change. Everything. Every iota. The way you think about yourself. The way you live where you go, what you do for the rest of your life, everything is going to be different. How do you react to a change of plans? How do you react when God says, no, it's not going to go that way. I know you thought it was going to go in this direction, but that's not the direction. I have something else. But Mary received God's word. She received it. She didn't say, wait, what about my plans? She received it. She says in verse 34 of Luke chapter 1, how can this be since I have not known a man? It's not how can you do this, but how will you do this? In other words, Mary is asking, how can I cooperate? How, how, How is this going to go down? I'm all in. She's not saying this is a lot of impossibilities. She's saying, all right, I'm a virgin. Here's everything I have. How do you want to work in me? The angel explains the process to Mary. He says, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the highest will overshadow you. 
And Jesus, the Holy One who is to be born, will take up residency in you. This is what it is to be born again, isn't it? This is what has happened to each one of us. When we gave our lives, when the word of God came to us, this is how it is taken into us. The Father overshadowed us. The Holy Spirit came upon us. And Jesus came and took up residency in our lives. I love Mary's response in verse 38. She says, behold, the maidservant of the Lord, let it be to me according to your word. In other words, she's saying, look on me, behold. Okay, here I am, behold, I'm all in. Look on me, consider me the the servant of the Lord, the one that you can do whatever you want with. I'm yours. Signed, sealed, delivered, I'm yours. That's what she's saying to the Lord. Consider, consider me as yours, your servant to do your will. Let the, all the word of God, whatever God desires, be done in me. To receive the word of God is more than simply hearing the word of God. It's to allow that word of God to take up residency or room in our hearts. As Jesus would tell the parable that we read about in Mark chapter 4 and Matthew chapter 13 about where the word of God goes as the sower goes out and he sows the seed. And you remember the different grounds it fell upon the, the pathway and The birds of the air ate it right away. It fell among the rocks. It sprung up, but then the sun withered it. It uh, fell among the weeds, but the weeds choked it out. But then it fell upon the soil that was prepared, and it brought forth fruit 30 to 100% more than what was sown. That's that ready soil. That's what Mary is saying. I'm giving the word of God full room. It has priority. I've made room for the word of God in my life. So she received the word of God. She gave it room. Next we read that Mary believed God's word. Believing God's word is when we order our life by God's word. That's how it's seen. Do you believe it? When you believe the word of God, you order your life by the principles, the instructions, and the truth or the reality of God's word. You see, a lot of people say, oh, I believe God's word, but they don't obey it. They don't do what it says. Hebrews chapter 11, we call it the chapter of faith, but what is it? It's people who believed and acted on the word of God. Whether we believe something is seen on whether we act on that or not. You see, if I don't believe my car runs, I'm not going to get in it. I'm going to use a different car. You know what I mean? You act on what you believe. So Mary acted on the word of God. When the angel Gabriel tells her that her cousin Elizabeth has miraculously conceived, Mary goes immediately to meet with Elizabeth. Mary's Praise also reflects her belief in God's word. We read what's called the Magnificent 
in Luke chapter 1, verses 46 through 55, where Mary proclaims the character of God, his greatness, his salvation, his favor, his might, his great work, his holiness, his mercy, and the nature of his activity. What is the nature of his activity? Mighty deeds. He scatters the proud in the imagination of their hearts. He topples the mighty. He exalts the lowly. He satisfies the hungry. He sends the rich or the self-satisfied away empty or unsatisfied. She talks about God's faithfulness to his promises, his people, his word. Faith or belief in God's word is evidenced in obedience and adherence to God's word. Those who believe in God's word obey God's word. Mary's response to the word of the Lord about the changes ahead in her life was remarkable. She was receptive to the word of God. Instead of asking, how can you do this? She asked, how will you do this? And this is what makes Mary so beautiful, her willingness to receive the word of the Lord. Dear friend, are you allowing the word of God to take residency in your heart today? If you'd like to order a copy of today's message, simply visit our website at graciouswords.com or call 1-800-733-6443 and refer to it by name, which is Mary and the Word of God. Once again, our website is graciouswords.com and our toll-free number is 1-800-733-6443. Coming up next time on the Gracious Words program, we'll continue our study on the life of Mary as we journey through the lineage of the King with Cheryl Broderson. This program is sponsored by Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California.